0: And is, is this victory or freedom been a few years at this point? I don't remember the timeline of about how long you've had that.
1: Um, I think, you know, we said in the book it was like a decade long struggle, okay. but it is hard to determine because it's a, um, you know, it's more like a stair step kind of thing where I'd see growth and I'd, you know, experience mm-hmm. this much of, of feeling better and things build on top of Of each other. And so um, I do feel like it really hasn't been, it's maybe been, you know, five or more years that I've really felt like this is definitely, you know, for the most part, past me. Um, I think within the last, you know, couple of years, there was one time I really felt this is, I'm experiencing a lot of stress, I can feel myself, you know, headed back in that direction. But I was able to, like I said, you know, I, I knew who to call, I knew what to do. Um, and so I wasn't ready just to slip right back into it. It was I had a you know a safety net there that was ready, right. and um, I think there was a lot I still had to learn within the past five years that just really helped solidify that um, that safety net to feel like I I'm okay now. That I think I would have considered myself. I'm I'm eating better. I'm not worried as much about food, but I didn't quite have that safety net in place. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the last piece of the puzzle that really helped after we moved where we are now, I really got involved with biblical counseling and have a, a biblical counselor now that I can, can call and talk to. And I know that she um, is there for me and she's provided me with a lot of um, information that was really helpful for me to, to just get that major safety net in place.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's smart and wise. That's similar, just having the support group. I have three girls who have similar stories, all of us in different places of our journey of recovery. And we can just speak the language of one another and challenge each other, hold each other accountable. So I think that's super helpful. There's one part of the book that I, I don't know that I can summarize. So I'm just gonna read part of it and then let you elaborate on it. But it was really helpful. You said, habits are powerful and they increase their hold on us when they are utilized as coping mechanisms. So habits are powerful and they're the hold that they have on us are even higher when we use them to cope for whatever reason we're using them as a coping mechanism. And then you said, the process of breaking a habit is complicated by the fact that our repeated indulgence in a routine actually nurtures our love for it and then you talk about james k a smith speaks of our rituals and practices as training our desires what i do is of course already an indicator of what i love but the repeated repeated practice further encourages that love so while obsessively working out at the gym reveals my desire for a slim and fit body the more i work out instead of resting or going to dinner with friends the more i reinforce that value with every run on the treadmill, I am training my heart to believe that a slim and fit body is the most important thing. It will not be enough then simply to stop going to the gym. I will have to develop new habits that point my heart towards new values. And I think that was eye opening to the thought of, I have years of standing in front of a, a mirror teaching at a, you know, an aerobics class at a gym or working out in a gym and just reinforcing the message that I believe, which is a lie that there's, there's nothing at the end of that promise that I'm going to have what I'm hoping I'm going to create by spending hours and hours and hours at the gym. But the thought of that, we're just reinforcing it with every run, every class, every time we go in the thought of that, we're just training our desires with each activity we do like that. Do you want to Elaborate anymore? Speak on where that came from for you.
1: Well, I think what's you know it can seem discouraging. I think to look at that and think that was such a long time of doing those things. Yeah. Like, but I think the the helpful thing to think of in that situation is to know that you like you can make a change because otherwise I think some aspects of looking at an eating disorder is, well, it just happened to you. It's just something that it's, you know, it's a, it's a disease of the brain or it's, you know, something just the sort of disease model makes it seem like it's just come on you and there's nothing you can do about it. But to know that every step that you take towards changing that Mm-hmm. um that thinking and that behavior um is is actually doing something it's it's making a change um i think that can be encouraging if you think of it in the right direction um because i think where i often struggled was that i was ready to give up if something didn't change right that first time that i you know if i did the right thing the next day why was why wasn't my eating disorder just gone you know but to think of that balance of well, I have trained myself to to do this. I have trained my brain to think this way. And right. sometimes how we explain it, you can actually picture the pathways that have formed, you know, in your brain along that way. And um, or like, you know, if taking a walk in the woods, if you walk the same way every single time, it's going to to make a path. And just to think how many times you have to stay off of that path for, you know, the the growth to come back in over that path, you know, it is a long time, but to know every time you make that choice, something is happening, it's just not happening all the way, you know, and right away, it's just um, every time you do make that choice, you can, you know, picture a little bit of growth happening every time. And to know that there there is something that you are able to do, it's not just happening to you.
0: Right. And you said, too, that the values that drive an eating disorder impact a whole life, not just the dinner table, which I think we've made crystal clear in just talking about this. Like, you might start off thinking this is just me controlling one meal or me controlling some You know, wanting to lose some weight or I want to be healthy for exercise, but that can quickly progress into something much deeper where you see, like you talked about in the book, isolation from friends, uh, not doing the hobbies that you once loved to do, like not going to meet friends for dinner because you don't want to be put in that situation that becomes more stressful um, and, and just the things that you used to love become now threats to an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I think about that for me specifically, just traveling, um, is so anxiety producing. It requires so much effort and energy that I have to like really, really want to do it because the mental activity and the emotional activity of thinking through all the things I won't be able to control when we're traveling mm-hmm. and all of the unknowns of, will I be able to exercise? Will I, be able to eat what I feel safe eating all of those things traveling can just be just emotionally exhausting to the point where I'm just like I'm okay to never travel again whereas I'm married to a man who loves adventure so I'm just like really squelching that desire for him and something for me that would be a fun activity if I didn't have this master that I'm serving so another thing you talked about is you said eating disorders attack relationships mental faculties, specifically discernment, self-assessment, concepts of beauty and communication practices. So just going beyond like this isn't just the dinner table. This is well beyond that into all these other facets. Do you want to give an example of any of that or just um, anything you've seen in regards to this going beyond just controlling food or exercise? Well,
1: I think the big thing that I thought of while you were talking was when I, I transferred schools when I was in college, just right after I really started some of the eating disorder behaviors. And I don't really have any friends from that time period of my life. Like um, I, you know, and sometimes it is just, it breaks my heart. Like to say, there's this whole chunk of what was supposed to be a really great time of my life. Like, you know, my college years are just supposed to be fun you know like spending time with friends making new friends like all of this stuff and i look back and there you know i have no friends on facebook from that um that second school that i transferred to and like i said it just kind of breaks my heart but at the same time i have chosen to use that as a way to remind myself like this is what's possible when you make these kind of choices and um and to know um, you know, like I was talking about earlier, to know that that could be in the background of my heart. I don't want that to happen again. I don't want to be so lonely. I don't want to be so isolated. Um, so to know that that is a real possibility to have friends completely removed from my life because um of making choices about my food, that's that's not somewhere that I want to go back to. Yeah. So um, while it, you know, I have regrets about it, it's um, God has used it to show me, you know, you don't want to go back there. Like that's a wasteland. Don't go back there. And so um, I think that's a just a good, you know, touch point of like reminding me, don't go back there. That's really a bad choice.
0: I can definitely relate to that too. Just seasons of man. Seeing friend groups that I was a part of, but wasn't because I was removing and isolating to where they're still friends and do life together. And I'm not part of that because I chose to want control, isolate, and live in fear versus embracing those relationships. So I, I and I see that, like you said, I think what's really good is not to sit in shame of like, man, look what I missed out on, but a reminder of I don't want that. And I don't want to go back there. So make choices today to choose people, choose relationship, choose life versus the death that ultimately this type of behavior brings us to. You said that eating disorders tend to divert attention away from so many productive activities. One specifically, you're just saying hobbies that you used to find lots of meaning from become joyless. Um But productive activities, I would assume, and this wasn't necessarily the case for me, but just where people can get to a place where they're not able to function as well at work. They're so foggy because they're not getting enough nourishment that they can't finish a task or just lots of mistakes or disrupting their work pattern because they're feeling anxiety because they did eat. Now they feel like they need to exercise purge by going to the gym, whatever. I'm sure you've seen lots of those types of things happen as well.
1: Yeah. So um, I think just just for me, I it's another area, of course, that I do have somewhat of regret about just thinking, how could I have spent my time better, like building up my, you know, my my writing or things that I experience now that I just think how much better could that have been, you know, but um, but to also think, yeah, another way of just thinking, I don't want to go back there, like right. to be able to move past that and find joy in the things that God has has given you to do the abilities um, is just far more rewarding than anything that you think that you could get out of eating disorder behavior. And, And some of that was just like coping with perfectionism, like, you know, and being able to view some of my gifts as, as what they were like gifts from God to God, like I need to use them. They are not mine. So to worry so much about perfecting them and, and then forcing myself into habits like that just to deal with that I'm not the best that I could be, like, um, isn't using those abilities as God intended them to. It's just, um, it's burying things, you know, instead of using them to to glorify him. And so I think that was, you know, a good um, thing that I need to really think about was just how can I use these actually to glorify God? And it was actually one of my, um, you know, I've been through – a bit of physical therapy because of some of the things i've done to my body and one of my physical therapists was a christian and she told me you need to take care of your body so that you can do what god has for you to do and it was so convicting because i was like i feel like i should know that already and but i wasn't doing it like it's why i would end up back there all the time was just um so just to think through how can i better glorify God with my body instead of thinking, how can I perfect my body so that I like it the way that it is? Um, Because that's not what we're, that's not what we're made for. We're meant to glorify him and serve him. And so when we get off track with that and start thinking, what do I want to do with my body? Um, How do I want it to look? Then you know, we can really sink into those types of behaviors too.
0: Yeah, so true. Along that line, you said, we become more enamored with what food, our waistline, or our sense of control control can do for us than we are enamored with God. So it's like the shift of focus. And I, you elaborate on that in the book, just like there's got to be a better love that we chase versus this loveless love that we're trying to chase, which is body image or control or beauty, whatever it is. It's like we've got to go back to our first love, which is Christ, and pursue that so that he is getting the glory for the way he made us. And some of these things that we use to keep us in an eating disorder were designed, like you said, for his glory, but we're using it for ours. How can we use this gift of self-discipline for God versus ourselves, you know, that just brings pride instead of bringing humility from us? So you say in the book that you have three children How I think that's one of the biggest fears I might have with this is just that I have two little girls, one that's one and one that's five. And my five-year-old definitely makes comments about what I'm eating, what I'm not eating. And I think that is my one question for you is how have you protected your kids from this being something they see? Again, we don't want the deception, but at the same time, like, I would not say I'm free. So they're going to see this behavior, even if I'm fighting for freedom. How do we protect our kids from falling into these same patterns or just being honest with them about it?
1: Yeah, I think um, I was made really aware of that as we finished this book and it's like laying around on the coffee table and like we're having to, you know, like we got a big box of them in the mail. Like, you know, my my kids are definitely seeing, you know, and I hadn't really shared with my daughter yet, who is now 14, you know, at the time we got the contract, she was 12. So she's just really entering that stage of, am I ready to talk to her? And so writing this book kind of sort of forced me out into that when I, you know, I probably would have done it anyways at the time, but it was like, it was, it was just um, sort of a, um, a good opportunity for me to do it because it was right there. And so we have talked quite a bit more about it because of the book. Um, But I think just things that I've done along the way are just, we don't talk about diets, we don't go on diets, you know, like, we, um, we talk about the things, you know, we were just talking about of like, glorifying God with our bodies. And we talk about how, you know, maybe junk food isn't the best way to nourish our bodies. Um, But also getting too wrapped up and not eating junk food is also not great. So, you know, we shouldn't, overdue sugar just because it's not because of what it will do to our bodies or our weight but just that it's not the best way for our bodies to function we, we get tired so I talked to her some about that of you know how do how do these foods make your body feel? Um, and how do they help you to, you know, perform the actions that you need to perform? Like, you know, if you want to do sports, if you want to, um, you know, even sing in the praise band at church, you know, think through what you're putting in your body. So, you know, before you're singing, you got to drink a lot more water or, you know, the same for running just, so being more aware of those things of just thinking of our bodies. And food as just our, you know, receiving fuel yeah. um, has been really important. And then just I think being as honest as I can with her and just being aware of what mm-hmm. she's ready to hear. And um, I don't need to share everything with her. And I I realize now, with you know the book being out there available, like she could very well read it. And but I think we have on top of all of that just developed a relationship where. Um, I feel like she can talk to me about a lot of things. And so that's, that's even important, no matter what issue you're dealing with is just Mm to um, create a situation where, you know, she came with me to me with something last night where she just was automatically assuming, Oh, I've done something really wrong. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to be punished for this. And there was so much where I just needed her to know, like she's not condemned because, because of what Christ has done. Like Mm -hmm. God doesn't condemn her. And I, I definitely don't condemn her. Like God is the judge. And just being able to talk openly about how all of that works, it just really plays into, um, you know, some of these scenarios so that it's not just about food or dieting or, or all of that. It's, it's about glorifying God, what Christ has done for us um, and how we play into that whole scenario.
0: Um,
1: it's just very important when it comes to this, particular issue but really any issue that they might deal with because it may not be eating it may be for her something entirely different but to set the stage. you kind of go the same direction.
0: I always worry that I might overcompensate because I'm so nervous that she would go down the same path. And I don't mm-hmm. want her so badly, you know, to the point where she just wants a Barbie so bad and wants it. And I just said, Ellie, I just don't want you to have a Barbie. She's like, why mom? And I said, well, and again, she's four at the time. And I said, because a Barbie's body doesn't look like a real person's body. It's not made the way our bodies were made. And I don't want you to ever think that that's the way your body should look. Do you understand? She's like, no, I don't understand at all. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we'll talk about it at another time. But I'll I'll find you another doll. Yeah, which I did. So it's like she's probably too young to understand that. But it's like I really want the the culture message is going to be so loud to our kids that I just want to interrupt it and let her at least start thinking for herself. And then the other thing is like I just really don't like um, red dye 40 in food. I just really don't like it for my kids specifically. And it seems like every time they get something from school or wherever, it's got red dye 40. And so the other friends brought over some popsicles with it in it, and we kept them. And she said, Mom, can I have the red dye 40 popsicles, please? And I'm like, gosh, you're killing me. So it is it is like, I mean, part of me, like when we first had her, I was so rigid, just like I was with myself with her diet. And I remember having like a a scary food for the first time. And I did it with her. I was like, I'm going to let her have it for the first time and I'm going to have it. And it it was helpful to me to have her sitting there having no attack, no morality to the food. It was just, I'm going to try this new food and doing it with her. And it was like a freeing thing. And my husband has a lot more freedom in this area. So he's such a good balance, which mm-hmm. I felt like David too. So just for our kids to see our spouses handle food um, with an open hand and with freedom, I think mm-hmm. it was really helpful. So thank you for just sharing this. I know it's a vulnerable topic. So for you to open up and write this, I want you to know specifically, it's been very helpful to me. So I know lots of people have felt the same thing. It's just like through the whole thing. Yes, me too, me too. I agree. So having someone else put it out there just to, give hope to us too, that there can be freedom from this is so encouraging. So I thank you for that. What are the best ways for people to connect with you? I mean, definitely for them to go out and grab this book, Table for Two, but any other ways they can be in touch?
1: Um, well, I'm on Instagram. I I really am notorious for not really being as involved with social media. So I might be a little harder to find, but I specifically, you know, I'm on Instagram, Krista underscore Dunham. And, and I don't mind for people to come and find me. I'm on Facebook too. You can, you can find me and I've had people send me messages and I don't mind that at all. I've interacted with people on Facebook. Um, So either of those, you know, are fine. And um, I'm, I am working on, you know, getting more of my stuff out there uh, with a a website, but it hasn't,
0: um, it hasn't happened yet. Just with the life with kids and, and all that stuff. So to come, we'll look forward that, forward yeah. to that. Well, thank you again for your time and yeah. I hope we can chat again soon, but thank you again for writing this book and for sharing your heart with us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> all right, thank you. I'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me at home where it all begins.